Okay, so welcome to the Urbonus podcast. I'm the host Donato Surbonus. I'm from Manila right now, and I'm happy to introduce my co-hosts, Ritis Vishnauskas, who is on the other end of the media workroom here in Mall of Asia, Asia Arena, and also Gustav Schlauskas, who is there in Vilnius observing all the World Cup uh, action remote, remotely. Pleasure to see you guys. Hello, everyone. What's up, guys? How are you doing? Pretty good. Everything is good. Actually, for the second straight time, I'm almost late. Or let's okay. Let's be honest. Uh, today I was a bit late uh, to the show due to Team USA practice because they have let's say different conditions here in the World Cup. I mean, it was their decision to have different practice facilities, uh, different uh, hotel, and it's uh, 30 minute drive uh, from uh, Mall of Asia. But it's just always an interesting experience. Uh, to go there, first of all, um, just to be able to approach anybody from Team USA camp. We have this issue where Italians decided to close their media availability for whatever the reasons were. I know that uh, colleagues in, in Slovenia's group has issues approaching Luka Doncic uh, whenever they would like to. But Team USA is a different beast. Uh, you can approach every player. I just spoke with Grand Hill, the managing director of Team USA program. You can talk to assistant coaches. I saw there was David Griffin, the vice president of New York Pelicans, visiting the camp. Willie Green, Pelicans head coach as well. Clay Thompson is in town as well for some four and four basketball event here. So a lot of USA basketball stuff here, and it's and it's completely different. The cultural difference is is obvious, and it's just a pleasure to have this great availability with the brightest stars of this competition. Four and four basketball. What's yeah? What's it's that a thing. About? They what's play like. About? 15 15 minute game uh and the game like we play uh for 21 points in lithuania in streets let's say so it's it's like an official basketball tournament a big thing here in philippines and clay thompson is coming here for this event to let's say national finals or, or something he's also he has some shoe deals here in the philippines so he and kevin looney i think just arrived yesterday in manila and i already saw some pictures from nightclubs where clay thompson was attending so four and four basketball is actually a thing um i'm, I'm waiting i thought that three on three basketball is a thing yeah well three on three basketball is a thing we know that for sure i'm, I'm one-on-one basketball is a thing now it's four and four I, i'm just waiting until someone comes up with six on six concept <laughs> or something two like two that. Two is missing. Yeah, nobody really plays two and two. That's that. That's true. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, Donatas, uh, have you noticed any more seriousness from Team USA heading into the second round, or are they still have this laid-back approach Man. where everybody's joking? All all seriousness is illustrated by Anton Edwards and his hilarious media presence. What a uh, media presence! What a funny guy. I mean. You could know about him a little bit from, you know, from the media availabilities that he has in the United States, from the NBA. But when you meet him, you know, in person, I mean, that guy's he's just dope, you know. So I'm really enjoying every opportunity that I have to, that I can, you know, approach him and talk to him. So he's a really funny guy. And I've just spoke with Grant Hill. He also said that he didn't think that he was that funny. But at the same time, you know, behind his hilariousness, 
behind all these jokes, there's a lot of competition. He's a he's a country guy. He's a he's very competitive, and behind all these jokes, you know, he's just ultimate warrior, and he wants to bring Team USA in the top. So it's 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 really entertaining experience to watch him. You know, uh, trash talking with players, uh, with fans, uh, with media, with everybody. So. That's dope. Yeah, that's so, dope. So I ma so I ma I imagine the article about him is coming so sometime soon. Uh or not. I'm not sure because I already made so many stories about him that I kind of <laughs> that's I right. try to move on from him. So but yeah, it's just hard not to write a story about him because he's everyday mar article material. So easy to write a story with him. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. You just throw the question and just put the recorder and, and and that's it so a lot of fun with team usa not that much fun was yesterday when greece uh, eventually played a do or die game that we probably all didn't expect was going to be that serious before the competition so greece new zealand and i want to hear you guys from one to ten how concerned you were about Greece's ability to finally defeat New Zealand and to finally advance to the next stage, watching them play, especially in the first half? I would say about eight. I was pretty concerned because in the first two, okay. in the first two quarters... That's, that's a pretty high concern level, I would say. Yeah, because in the first two quarters, they had no offense. And at the same time, being a defensive-minded team, they didn't really look good defensively as well. They made too many mistakes like communication errors. Uh, they couldn't grab rebounds actually. Uh, New Zealand, I think, had like eight or nine offensive rebounds in the first half. Uh, so the score was 43-32. And, and you could see that Greece didn't have much quality on offense. They didn't have good spacing. Uh, they couldn't create good shots. I think their two-point field goal percentage was like 26 or below and at the time i was definitely concerned because uh, this greek team doesn't really have a superstar that could carry the team that could add the quality you need on offense and yeah we were thinking that okay after the halftime they were probably gonna talk about this uh they have papa nicolau as a great leader as a captain he took this a really strong character as a head coach and they should go out of the locker room angry and start being more physical, uh, putting more pressure on defense. But also I was thinking, okay, they will do these things, but will they score? Because they are so limited offensively. Uh, and somehow, yes, they managed to score, but it's still their uh, full court pressure, their, their full court press, their, their defense, their physicality was what actually got them back into the game. And then they caught some rhythm offensively, started making some shots, uh, found some mismatches uh, using Papa Petru. Uh, of course, uh, fourth quarter, Lorenzakis happened. Uh, that was a beautiful thing to see. Uh, but still, they needed, for example, Thomas Walkup to play, I think, 36, 38 minutes. And in the second half, basically, uh, Itudis decided to stick to his EuroLeague guys, let's say. Uh, Papayanis had to play 33 minutes because um, Tanasis got into a foul trouble. And when they played that small lineup when, where Papa Petru was a five, they didn't score a single point with that lineup. They didn't allow much. 
but he couldn't score and couldn't create. And you could see that uh, Thomas Walkup is not your typical naturalized guard that you see in FIBA. Usually, you see guys like Kendrick Perry, Lorenzo Brown, uh, Shane Larkin in the past, like Bo McCaleb, all these guys that actually score, penetrate, play aggressive, shoot, play a lot of pick and rolls. And versus New Zealand, Thomas Walkup had like six switches uh, with Jan Wetzel, a New Zealand center in the second half, and he couldn't attack these switches. This is not his game. In the end, he got some points, he got some drives, he got some finishes, but uh, he's definitely not a typical naturalized American point guard. Uh, so yeah, uh, I was pretty concerned, uh, but they managed to handle their business in the second half, even though New Zealand, hang, uh, they hung in there until the very last minute with some crazy shots they made. Uh, a couple of their guys really had great performances. Shea Illy, uh, in particular. Uh, actually, Isaiah Leafa has been one of their most, most consistent players in the first two games, and he didn't really show up in this one. So if he was there to make some shots, maybe they could have kept it even closer until the last seconds. Uh, so yeah, somehow Greece managed to overcome all these adversities and, and, and issues they were facing. But this team, we, we could see that they are really limited offensively. That's why that's why I'm not so worried, you know, after that game of yesterday, you know, against, uh, looking forward to the game against Lithuania. But we don't know how that one is going to go anyway. I was maybe a little bit less worried than Ritis uh, after the first half. Maybe I would rate it a 6 out of 10 because... Uh, yeah, New Zealand offered a great level of physicality to Greece, and usually that's what you expect from Greece, not New Zealand. But uh, Greece were struggling, but also at the same time they were creating kind of good looks, let's say, at the rim especially. And I even remember Ritis on the um, commentary saying they were 4 of 18 from two-point range, I think, in, the, in one moment. So, Zealand were playing this hedge defense against Greece guards, especially against Thomas Walkup. I thought that was an interesting decision, you know, to hedge Thomas Walkup on or or switch with him. Uh, usually, with him, maybe you know you go under or you play drop defense. You let him shoot those mid-range shots or three pointers. New Zealand chose hedge defense, and I thought Greece were moving the ball pretty well. They were attacking the closeouts pretty well, but they were just not able to make those layups let's say layups from two three meters after some contact or after a euro step so at, while at the same time new zealand made some free pointers and got some offensive rebounds so i was like okay they're minus 10 but they're not going to make as many in the second half greece should probably improve their two-point shooting and it should be a uh, tie game you know in the in, in the in the in the second half in the fourth quarter especially but Greece made two huge runs, not with the scoring, obviously, but with their defense to start the third quarter and to start the fourth quarter. I thought it, it was like two runs of like 7-0, 8-0. And basically that stole the game. You know, New Zealand couldn't cope with their intensity levels, uh, Thomas Walkup defense stealing the ball. Um, so, and, uh, and of course, Lorenzakis finally made some shots for Greece. You know, they found, they found a guy who can 
who can score and who can who can win games for them. So, uh, but yeah, it was it was a defensive-minded game, and just I thought New Zealand weren't ready, maybe a little bit for the moment because nobody expected them to do so. And when I, when they got an opportunity to do it, it felt maybe a little bit too big. And obviously, Greece made them made them feel like this. Actually. Uh Watching Perro Cameron as, as as New Zealand head coach uh, at the beginning of the third quarter, when there were two turnovers in a row, uh, a player couldn't inbound the ball for five seconds, and Greece started so strong. I, I think any Euroleague coach would have taken a timeout immediately. Like yep. one minute of this, it's enough. You take a timeout. And Perro Cameron, obviously, uh, comes from a different basketball culture, has his own mindset. He just allowed his players to deal with this on the court didn't take a time out i was really surprised about that because in my opinion any euroleague coach would have reacted so quickly just a timeout because these guys are killing us right now i had the same exact note uh, on my note list uh, you know watching this game and i was about to ask uh, this uh, pedal cameron in the press conference but you know since the new zealand lost it was not that important because the f the interesting part is that they actually bounced back at the beginning but just later greek made another big run and that was probably the decisive uh, turn turnaround uh, of the game my level of concern with greeks was i would say seven and mainly uh, because i didn't like the body language in greek national team camp starting from dimitris atudis just spending too much energy and time dealing uh, and complaining to referees in some obvious situations where actually the call was good i'm not saying that the referees were doing a good job i think that there were some mistake mistakes here and there but still a lot a lot of energy was wasted there other some other players also were too hot-headed i remember that lunzes also was spending too much time dealing uh, uh arguing with referees papa petro was probably the maddest Papa Petro version that I saw live, uh, watching the way he was even shouting at uh, Kostas uh, Papinikolaou, he was uh, shouting at uh, Moraitis when he was not uh, moving the ball and uh, forced some some uh, silly shots. Although it's not it's it's not necessarily a bad thing. At the same time, Papa Petro just wanted to win so much, and he approached as one of the key guys, uh, key characters on the court that helped uh, the the whole team to step up. But I mean, Ben Tanasis got a four foul. I mean, a lot of things were going against Greece. But but yeah, the the way they bounced back. It's also there was what this interesting moment. I I really love New Zealand in this tournament. They already let's say challenge team usa uh in a way that i didn't expect they were let's say competitive in the first two quarters uh, in the opening game of the fiba world cup i love their tempo uh, i love the uh, their high speed uh, high pace game physical defense they were really very interesting to group to, to watch although they really lacked uh, talent but i remember when greeks were down by 13 i was like i was texting with uh, another lithuanian player who was also in the gym watching the game and we had this the same point how long they're gonna keep up with this tempo that they offered and basically the same thing happened against team usa you know the team usa just but their rotations they at some point they you know broke the game and uh, took the lead so i think kind of the same just a little bit later uh happened uh, with greeks and and yeah thomas walk up in this whole picture i, I he didn't have the best game as Ritis mentioned he's a different dimensional 
player and naturalized player and uh, I was not a fan of watching him trying to score in the one-on-one -on -one ISO situations. He was shooting the ball pretty bad. Yeah, he hit some important shots at the end, but there were a lot of late clock situations where the ball didn't go in. But at the same time, watching this Greek chaos on the court, you know, with Vitudis, all this stuff with referees on the sidelines, Laranzakis being crazy from the tip-off, Tanasis also, you know, his his energy is, is, is moving the, the roof of the gym. Papa Petro was so mad. It's so fun to watch Thomas walk up and the way he reacts the way he you know responds with this calm uh, presence on the court and as I asked it uh, Dimitri Satoudis uh, it really helps on the court you know he's always in presence he never gets too emotional about situations and they have that kind of point guard and probably especially in this passionate environment and group of Greek players it's a huge advantage for them and he made right place uh, ironically, he became the first Greek player to dish, I think, more than five assists in three consecutive <coughs> games. He also joined a rare group of Chris Paul, uh, Dennis Schroeder, and one, uh, one another player who made seven assists in three first FIBA World Cup games ever. So, yeah, not the best game of Thomas Walker, but his presence and his character on the court was also very important. And I wouldn't say that he had a bad game. It's just the thing is... He's playing in a role he isn't used to be playing. Like um, you, yeah. yeah. He is one of the ball handlers in his team, Olympiakos, or let's say Jalgiris in the past. But he would always have others, and those teams didn't depend on him that much offensively. We know his good qualities. We know uh, where he's good at. Uh, he's an elite defender. Uh, he's a great teammate. Uh, he does all the right things, but he's not your flashy point guard who's going to carry the team or or, or, or or drop 20, 25 points casually in a FIBA World Cup game. So Greece being so dependent on him says more about Greece than about Thomas Walker. They just don't have star sure. power. They don't have an elite point guard, combo guard, shooting guard, whatever. And as a coach, well, you're working with what you have. You're trying to do your best. And in this case, well, Thomas Walkup has to take the load. And, you know, him playing 38 minutes and Greece having one day less to rest before a very important game on, on the 1st of September versus Lithuania. I think this gives a big advantage to, to the Lithuanian team because Lithuania just went through the group stage smoothly, easily. Uh, Kazis is spreading minutes to all the players in the first two games versus Montenegro. He had to play his uh, best rotation, but we handled the game very well. And for Greece, even versus Jordan, for three and a half quarters, they couldn't relax. Uh, they tried their best versus Team USA, and now versus New Zealand, they had to fight like in a in a quarterfinal or a semifinal because it basically was a knockout game. Uh, so it's interesting to see how will they recover and how prepared they will be for the for the second round uh, because you know that game is crucial and there's also Montenegro so for Greece they need to win both games probably to to advance to the quarterfinal uh, yeah well J just just keep your prediction of the second round uh, yeah, I'm, I'm not predicting anything yet but I'm, I'm just yeah. saying that 
they are in a tough position and uh, probably you didn't expect the game versus New Zealand to be so tough. Maybe you thought that, okay, mm. it won't be a blowout, but Greece should be in control. They should have this game uh, played by their rules, let's say. But no, they were down 13. Uh, they were down 11 going to the locker room. As you said, you could see players arguing with each other on the court. There was this one situation where uh, New Zealand team's uh, captain, I forgot, his Tarangi, uh, he was already hot and there was such a, a huge miscommunication in, in Greece defense that nobody actually stepped up to uh, guard him and to contest his shot and he made an open free and at the same time the referee called a foul in the paint for one of the Greece mm -hmm. players so New Zealand got a, got three points and an extra possession and then Papa Nicolau and Papa Petrudi just started arguing like you had to contest the shot. No, you had to contest the shot. And usually when you I see these things... I think it was Thomas, Thomas Walkup who left the guy with the ball. And then Papa Petru was like, yo, who, how the hell this guy is so wide open? Yeah, maybe. And also, then another play happened where Thanasis on a switch, he was guarding um, New Zealand's uh, point guard, Shea Ely, And he did a pretty good job, contested the shot. But the thing is... When Shaili uh, released the ball, Thanasis already sprinted to the other side of the court and there was nobody to grab the rebound. So New Zealand got an offensive rebound, Thanasis turned his back and he saw, oh wait, I have to get back on defense and New Zealand scored points. <laughs> and these things are really frustrating and you could see that players were not happy with one another. And I think hmm. I, I was not in their locker room, but probably there were some strong words said and they managed to sort it out. and. They came back after the halftime as a team, as a unit, and that's what helped them. What actually, speaking of the locker room, what actually surprised me that woke up after the game, he told that uh, I asked him about the darkest moments of that game. And he actually said that even though for looking from the outside, it might have looked, you know, bad, even with all these bad body language examples, it was not a bad at all. Augustus mentioned all those reasons why Greeks were kind of sure that they might turn around the games quite uh, quickly. And despite, it's, it's probably the Greek thing, you know, to be so emotional about some situations and the, mm, in a way that they're shouting at each other doesn't mean that something is wrong. So they were, were still united, just maybe a little bit more emotional. But in the locker room, uh, even the two, this was pretty cool, I would say. And they, they, they kind of recovered and there was nothing, you know, no, no tragedy behind this body language. I don't think it, it's a problem, you know, when you talk on the court a little bit more with with more temper, let's say, like how Papa Petru was telling Moraitis to pass the ball. He was completely wide open on the other side of the court. Moraitis shot a contested shot when he could have swinged the ball and then somebody else was there to make an extra pass. So, you know, a little bit more, te more temper because it's an important game because if you lose, you don't go to the next round. But I think I think it's okay. And when these, let's say mistakes happen on the defense, you also try to look for what happened here because nobody really understood who left the guy there wide open. But I wanted to talk about last uh, last thing uh, here uh, about this Greece game and about it, it's Papayani's defense. I mean, Shea Ili was killing the guy throughout the game, whether he was in the drop, whether he was switching uh, for a couple of times in the second and third quarter. But in the fourth quarter, I think 
you know, that switching defense and Greece basically went to the switch all much more in the second half. And uh, I thought it's still not easy to score against Papayanis. I thought in the, in the, in the first half, Shaili just got and some other guys just got, you know, not lucky. But they made mostly all the shots they were taking against him. And it's not sustainable throughout 40 minutes to hit every shot that's not super easy. I mean, you're still shooting uh, over a super tall guy with super long arms. And if you're shooting a mid-range shot, that's not an easy thing to do to hit a shot when you ba barely see the rim. So uh, his defense was suffering for through the first three quarters. But then I thought in the end, he did a pretty good job to allow Greece to have a chance to win with their few shots on the offense. But also this game reminded me of uh, how much they they lack uh, Kostas Mitoglu because Itudis has really limited options. Uh, Papayanis is their only true center. So you're using Tanasis as a four slash five and Tanasis, he has this tendency to get silly fouls. And when he's in a foul trouble, your other option is just basically Papa Petru as a five which is mm. definitely not perfect. And Papayanis playing 33 minutes is also not perfect. Uh, so uh, if they had Mitoglu, the rotations would be more simple. Uh, Mitoglu can play as a four and as a five. He, can, he adds a lot to your spacing. He can stretch the floor. So yeah, that, that's again, it just happened before the tournament. Like minutes or hours before before the first day of the tournament and it's a huge loss for greece and you can see that right now the evidence is clear i just imagine that uh you know seeing this short roster of greece lithuania probably will go to Janos volunchunas early on friday trying to get uh, papayanis into foul trouble because you know the more he's not on the court the better the better for lithuanians will be so it will be interesting it's really interesting to see uh, the game plans of both Lithuania and coaches and Dimitris Itoudis because Lithuania had a great game plan against Montenegro and you know we all perfectly know what Dimitris Itoudis is capable of inventing so it will be an interesting game. Before we continue with Serbia there's just one short important note uh, Courtside 1891 our podcast partners offer a 10% discount code that you can uh, for our listeners and viewers and the discount code will give uh, our viewers and listeners to receive a 10% of the max FIBA World Cup pass so for you to keep up to date with all the World Cup action that is going to be more and more interesting in the upcoming stages not just with the top 16 teams that remained in the competition but even with the others who are who will try to uh, get those olympic uh, those tickets to the olympic games so use that discount code basket 23 to get a 10 percent discount uh, for all fiba world cup games all the instructions uh, you can find in our video description so we can continue with serbia and their path to the next stage uh, was way smoother than Greeks. They were the third highest scoring team in the tournament with 104 points per game. The average margin of their wins was over 30 points. And it feels like they're, we, we, we already heard that somewhere, right? It feels like that last year the vibes around Serbia's camp were the same. Augustus, you wanted uh, to break down their game and their group stage a little bit. What did impress you the most about Serbs? Uh, 
It has to be their offense. I mean, with the numbers that you just mentioned and the way they looked. Obviously, a big editor's note here would be that the quality of opponents they played and the level of defense, you know, for example, South Sudan showed yesterday. Um, they were getting Bogdanovic on the pick and rolls pretty high and Bogdanovic were just beating that defense pretty easily and then it's a pass, extra pass, closeout, beating closeout with the dribble, extra pass and it was a beautiful basketball to play. I think Serbia had 17 turnovers, 17 assists and only four turnovers in the first half. So they scored 56 points. It was too easy because South Sudan were helping really heavily in the paint and uh, it's, it's a little bit, you know, you can't really value them that uh, objectively, I would say. But uh, with how they move the ball, with the shooting they have on the court at the same time, basically they have, let's say, I know Stefan Jovic is not the best shooter out there in the world, but he also can hit a shot. And all the other three guys on the court with Milutinov, who is rolling strongly to the paint, to the rim, is everybody can shoot. And Bogdanovic looks in, in shape. He looks sharp. Um, Nikola Jovic is probably one of the biggest surprises of the tournament. I know he had a great uh, friendly game run, but the guy has played like 22 games in the NBA. We did not see him much. I think he played like 200 minutes in total this season, but he improved so much during the season. I think it's one more testament of how Miami is the right place for guys, for, the, for rookies to improve. And uh, the guy, Nikola Jovic had 9 of 9 shooting yesterday and he added so much to his game. He improved his shot mechanics. Um, he had 5 of 5 three-pointers yesterday. And with his size and his ability to drive, it's just amazing to, to see, you know, how well he fits in the Serbian team. Jovic is averaging... 17 points per game, almost three rebounds, three assists, 67% of three-point shooting. His efficiency average is also 20.7, and all those numbers are behind only Bogdan Bogdanovic and Nikola Milutinov in those different departments. What's the biggest difference that you see? I mean, we, we both watched their preparation games, and it, feel, it felt like that Jovic was rushing so many plays, you know, he was just too raw for the national team basketball or for the senior Serbian national team. Where did you notice this main difference that you know shifted his, his game to another level i thought mm, we saw that it was it was the first game friendly game we saw uh it was against greece if i'm not mistaken and uh he was may, maybe it was the first game you know of the summer for him like like i said he has played few minutes in the nba this season and uh, it was the first let's say official friendly game I think they had two behind closed doors, but it's still not the same. And now Jovic looks much more calm, much more, uh, let's say, confident with his decision making. It's either a quick shot, three pointer. It's either a drive to the rim. And, you know, also maybe let's say the quality of opponents have helped him as well. But now he is in the confidence. So everything looks much simpler for him on the court. And he's just... He's so tall, but he plays as a guard. So in transition, it's super hard to stop him. He has added, I think, uh, some body muscle. And with his skill, like I said, when he is going to the rim, it's much harder to stop him. It's much harder to push him out of balance. That helps him a lot. And 
yeah, so I think I think that's the biggest change for him. But like yesterday, he was shooting a fadeaway three-pointer on the 45-degree angle, or even more to the corner, and he was caught the ball looking to the stands, and he just made a fadeaway three-pointer, and that's that's an NBA shot. You know, we talked on the podcast. If you see a shot like this, you know that this guy's you know from the NBA because you don't see usually European players doing this kind of stuff. So. I really loved Yo- Yo- watching Jovic in the in the group stage, but uh, to me, Serbia is maybe you know I said Italy should be higher in the power rankings before the tournament, but uh, this first group stage, even if Serbia played against weaker opponents, have completely changed my mind. Okay, before we go with our predictions for the second stage, there's this one elephant that we have to move out of the room, uh, which is also, it's related to national teams basketball, but it's happening outside of Manila, Jakarta or Okinawa. So what did you, what do you think about this whole mess in the Turkish uh, basketball where uh, now Shane Larkin and Scott Wilbekin lost their uh, Turkish uh, local player status. They were also fined and penalized with suspensions, with fines as well. And from what I understood from these reports, they're still eligible to join the national team in the future. But at least for now, they've lost this local player status because, or at least, we didn't report it on Basket News. I didn't see any reports like, oh, they lost their citizenship or something. They just lost the domestic player status. And let's say, if how I read this whole report, let's say if they commit to, to come back to the Turkish national team, maybe they're, you know, regaining the status. I mean, this whole situation is messy, so I might be wrong with, with these facts. But the thing is that they lost their status in, in, in Turkish Basketball League, which is a big hit uh, for FS, but especially for Vener, uh, who were lacking of local players uh, badly. Yeah, they didn't get their passports cancelled. Uh, they just lost the local uh, player status, as you said. Um, to me, it all sounds really stupid, and it all sounds like there are way too many emo- emotions here. Uh, the decision making is definitely based on emotions, not on rational thinking. And Shay Larkin had, as we as we read his response, he had good reasons not to play this summer. Uh, he played last summer injured. <laughs> And he was dealing with injuries throughout the Euroleague season. He definitely had some problems and he just probably wants to be 100% for the upcoming Euroleague season. And this uh, decision, let's say, to take away their local player status doesn't really hurt them as much as it hurts their respective clubs. Uh, they already have their rosters built they have the players signed and now all of a sudden two players well one for Fener, one for fs that you thought yeah these are local players for us we can play them in the turkish league they don't have the status anymore and the financial fine it also doesn't really make sense to me honestly and what is funny is that they are punishing both of these guys even though they could have only one of them on the roster so i don't know man in this case, I, I, I'm with the players. I, I would stand on their side. And when you're naturalizing players, when you already get into this game, you must realize that they will not play for your national team because of some patriotic reasons. 
that's not why they are in here. Uh, so you will deal with this they, that one summer or the next summer they will uh, decline the invitation because well they have other priorities maybe they have minor injuries and and, and something else going on in their lives uh, so yeah well they are Americans with Turkish passports and you cannot expect them to feel let's say the same pride uh, to represent Turkey that Turkish players feel so honestly it just really puts a bad image on the Turkish Basketball Federation in my opinion that, that's what I wanted to say bad image is probably the right the right wording that you just used about uh, the Federation and you know you have to understand players I think both of those guys are like what 30 years old they have history they have the mileage on their knees and stuff and it's normal that after playing last summer and 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 shane was definitely not playing at 100 percent last summer he wants to get healed he wants to be ready for the season and you expect the guy what to again play on on what 60 70 percent on on his knee that's just not rational and uh, it's just it's just plain stupid to do something like this that uh fine monetary fine i think is like what three thousand euros so that's nothing but he's losing his domestic player status because of because he wanted to heal i i just don't you know you said you said it correctly you know when you get into the game of naturalization this is something you have to be aware of that this might happen but you can't punish the players i mean you're not punishing local guys for not uh appearing to your training camp are you so if you naturalize a guy, why after one year or two years and when he's not playing, you have a different standard for him? That's just that's just not fair, I think, in my eyes. And I could add that you, you couldn't blame Shane Larkin for not being dedicated because when he actually played for the national team, uh, he didn't only play in the Eurobasket, he played during the qualifying windows. I think there was this situation where he played a EuroLeague game and after 24 hours or something, he already played for Turkey. So he loves Turkey. He said it. He's proving it. And now the guy just wants to do what's best for him and for his club and for his upcoming season. And you're punishing him? I mean, come on. It's clear that Turkey lost that um, important game, uh, the decisive game versus Poland in in the pre-qualifier and they reacted really emotionally because they couldn't cope with the loss so they decided to play the blame game and, and, and decided to blame uh, Scotty Wilbekin and Shane Larkin for not play not participating in the in this in this tournament just my quick another thing uh, thought I don't see Lorenzo Brown getting any punishment from the Sp Spanish National F Basketball Federation so I think Jorge Garbajosa is a true gentleman and he wouldn't come up with any stuff like that i mean and 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 there were some really uh, great exchanges let's say between lorenzo brown and and, and his spanish teammates like yui fernandez who are grateful for what he did in the previous eurobasket and if things go right maybe he will play in tokyo olympics and and, and they will welcome him, welcome him once again so there's no bad blood in there. Lorenzo also explained why he decided to um, skip this summer's uh, World Cup. 
What's your view, Donatus? I mean, this. I mean, this whole situation is silly, especially when it takes uh, Shane Larkin's situation. I mean, I'm not even mentioning the fact that both of these players, I think that they shared their medical reports with the Turkish Basketball Federation that kind of proved that they're not at their best shape, that they have health issues and it's dangerous and it's risky. And with Shane, it's just amazing. I mean, last year, last summer, he got injured during the Eurobasket. It completely screwed up the first half of the season. Eventually, it actually screwed up the whole season for FS and for Shane Larkin, who couldn't come uh, get back to his rhythm. And he's still dealing with these issues. And I mean, the guy played only 17 games last season, which is uh, his career low in his six-year EuroLeague uh, career. The only time he played less games was just COVID year, 25. In all the other games, he, uh, seasons, he played at least 33 games. Then the same goes with Scotty Wilbekin. I mean, he played 25 games for Fenerbahce because he also had uh, uh, injury problems. And it's his uh, second... Uh, lowest EuroLeague record since his debut season in the EuroLeague with Darushafaka in 2015-16. Uh, in all the other seasons, he played more games uh, and probably in each season he played over 30 games. So, I mean, for me, these are pretty serious reasons not to be, let's say, able to join the national team. And I mean, their cases were really uh, big. They were important. We have NBA players who I would say have less health issues, less health concerns, but they have, they do some for precautionary reasons, them and clubs try to, you know, uh, keep them out of playing for the national teams and all of and it's fine nobody gets punished nobody gets any fines penalties or, or whatever you're not losing your whatever status you have in your country and suddenly those guys you know became scapegoats of the whole situation although i really believe that it has also mentioned all these examples they already proved that whenever they were able to they played. Shane Larkin also mentioned that he even played through injury uh, in the Eurobasket. And you cannot ask them to play, to force their bodies more because they're over 30. They already, you know, made a big impact to Turkish national team. And I mean, for me, it's just silly. My, my mind cannot, you know, uh, understand this whole situ situation and, and, and the whole process that Turkish Basketball Federation is going through right now. Maybe just it's just us Lithuanians that have no clue how things should be run or or how naturalized players should be treated because we don't have any naturalized players. So I think uh, we do. The only people. Well, Brzezikis oh, takes yeah. the naturalized oh. player spot. Sorry. So according to the rules, <laughs> he's a naturalized player. Officially, I, we I, have naturalized players. I think that the only people that don't agree with us here is Turkish Basketball Federation. Uh, I really believe there was so actually. That, I really believe that this situation is very well understandable from players, from fans, and that you know you from clubs. Uh, clubs, everybody is on the on the player side. You know, there's one thing I had some conversations with basketball people from Turkey and there was this one thought if Ergen Ataman was still the head coach of FS yep not sure if these penalties were about to take place you know for Larkin or Scotty Wilbekin but since he's in Panathinaikos the situation is a little bit different so I kind of can see some sense behind you know that that idea a lot of sense so, I think a lot of sense 
Yeah. So, okay, let's go with our predictions uh, for the World Cup. We will try to predict teams that will make uh, the quarterfinals. So the rules are simple. Two best teams of each uh, group in the second round will qualify. And we'll go group by group. So uh, we have group with Serbia, Dominican Republic, Italy and Puerto Rico. What you guys think will advance? I hate to say it, but I think Serbia and Dominican Republic will be in the quarterfinals. Um, Dominican, and I think it's going to be, you know, we will knew it by the end of Friday because Serbia are playing Italy and Dominican Republic is playing, are playing Puerto Rico. And I think Dominican barely holds here and uh, Serbia wins against Italy who haven't really, I don't know, showed their game this this summer especially in the world cup and they had hard time beating they had hard time in, in every game of their group match i know serbia like we said played in a very easy group but uh, i like what i saw my only question about serbia is that nikola milutinov pick and roll defense and how italy are going to attack it so there is a chance that i think serbia are going to prevail and serbia and dominican republic will be going to quarterfinals from this group. Do you agree, guys? Uh, I, I do agree with you, although I do see some room for uh, something unpredictable to happen in, in, in this group. But Serbia is in a very good position and I actually see them extending their winning streak to five. Um, and yeah, the second team, I, I have to put the Dominican Republic as the second team to advance uh, from this group uh, because I believe they can overcome Puerto Rico. I'm not saying uh, it's an easy game. Puerto Rico is more than capable of, of winning, but uh, in that game, Carl Anthony Towns should make a big difference for, for the Dominican Republic. And that win they got over Italy in the group stage, it, it's the difference maker in this scenario. So. Yeah, I think Serbia and Dominican Republic will advance. Italy, well, they have their backs against the wall. They have to win twice. They have to repeat what they did last year in the Eurobasket. There's no Nikola Jokic, but there's Bogdan Bogdanovic, who is a true killer on the court. So, yeah, I, I think it's possible, but I'm not going to predict that. Look, Italy can just have any time. And a crazy shooting shooting Ooh. night. Yeah. So you can never write off Italy, but I don't know. I don't know. It's just they didn't give me much hope in this first round of, of gameplay. So I, I'm, I'm thinking Serbia are going to prevail, but we never know. You, you never know with Italy and Gianmarco Pozzeco. I, I agree with Serbia 100%, but I have this small hope of Italy doing something unexpectedly crazy because there's not much rational thinking behind this team. It's a very emotional team with the emotional health coach, very bad matchups for the opponent like Serbia. But the first part is that the worst part is their situation in this group because I could see them beating Serbia uh, because of the matchups. But at the same time, I have doubts that Dominican Republic will start losing games and it eventually might end up where Dominican Republic will just get this better uh, plus and minus uh, advantage, you know, going to the next yep. stage. So I'm kind of, you know, 
confused a little bit because I, I'm not written, uh, writing off Italy, but at the same time, mm. I don't have high hopes on Puerto Rico uh, winning against Dominican Republic. So probably in this case, I will have to go with Serbia and Dominican Republic. Yeah, Italy definitely right. needs help from, from Puerto Rico. They have to cheer for them because if, if Puerto Rico beats Dominican Republic, eventually you might have a free freeway tie and the points difference will be calculated so they could get into this position but first they need help from from puerto rico so but i would really i can imagine this scenario where they beat serbia and after puerto rico winning against dominican republic and marco poceco is just chomping on people of puerto rico national team just celebrating together with them being with them on the court and stuff it's it would be a casual thing for for Gianmarco poceco Casual day at the office, huh? <laughs> yeah. So, Group J with USA, Lithuania, Montenegro, and Greece. That's the group. That's uh, where I want to hear your Our listeners want to hear our Lithuanian predictions. I don't think we're going to disagree. I, 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 I don't I see don't so. where we could disagree. I mean, Team USA, too good. Uh, yeah. They're in the league of their own. No doubt. And Lithuania at the moment definitely seems the better uh, team of the three. Uh, they already proven it uh, versus Montenegro. So on September 1st, they have to prove it versus Greece. And it seems like they have a much better flow right now. Uh, and I believe they can definitely beat Greece. When we knew the brackets, uh, when we knew the groups, before way before the tournament we were thinking about this scenario but we were also thinking about greece with yanis with slukas with dorsey maybe some other players and we were thinking that oh man we're in trouble this is probably where where it's gonna end but this greek team i respect them a lot i respect their uh, fighting spirit and everything but i think lithuania is a better team in a better position right now and I, I I think we we should advance. I I really I agree with you. I mean, I respect Greece as well. I love their playing style. You know, when you don't have much talent, they're still trying to get the most of this. But I think Lithuania should prevail. They have a let's say more dominant player inside, and I just loved what I saw from our guards in the game against Montenegro against the drop defense. And it's not like Greece are going to defend any other way. Like Yorgos Papayanis is going to be there standing in the paint, uh, probably in the drop, at least at least for the half, uh, at least for 20 minutes of game. You know, we saw some switching defense. So, and and that might might cause that might cause Lithuania some trouble. But it's not like we have to just uh, let's say lean on guard play like New Zealand had to do. We have Jonas Valanciunas inside, and if you switch. We can punish. Uh, we can punish uh, the the Greeks from inside as well, or or try to create the advantage here. So, I think Lithuania will prevail and uh, advance to the next round. And uh, I don't know. Donatas was smiling uh, a couple of a couple of seconds ago. Are you going to predict uh, Greece advancing? Are you going to be the guy? Why are you not a believer in in, in Lithuania? I'm a big believer in Lithuania. I love this Lithuania team. I love the way they tactil tactically approach Montenegro game. This decision to put Valanciunas on Radoncic uh, uh, and then put uh, Sedekerskis on Vucevic was just brilliant. It kind of looked uh, quite, you know, 
logical and very rational when we watched the lineup that Lithuanians put defensively. But at the same time, you know, it was kind of a little bit unexpected, even to some players, that the coaching staff, you know, approached the game with this idea and then turned down to be a very great decision. So uh, I love the the job that the coaching staff is doing uh, i love the chemistry of our team i love that for instance players like especially rokos yokobaitis the way he was leading the team and the past few uh, games mindos kuzminskas basically again uh recovering his national team career we all remember that three four years ago he was out of rotation for lithuanian national team he was not playing he 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 received a lot of harsh criticism uh, here in lithuania and now he's he's the top he's the top guy in the efficiency in Lithuania or like second best so I mean even I mean defensively yeah we all know all, all his flaws but offensively he feels very good and he contributes in so many different ways offensively but I just have this bad feeling guys I mean there are that couple, they're not going to make three pointers like we did in the game against Montenegro. this is one of the reasons because we are not good shooting team but there's this one thing our offensive flow is dependent we're dependent on Rokas Jakubaitis right and so far he was doing nice job in the last couple of games uh, running the offense but I'm just curious to see what kind of defensive coverages Etudis will put on him because uh, I don't know how it would work with the depth with the lack of depth that the Greek national team has right now but if I remember well Jakubaitis usually had issues trying to beat those you know athletic big uh forwards that let's say Tanasis and the Tukumbo is I remember how let's say guys like JB Brown was always a nightmare for Rokas Jakubaitis what if they will try to lock him down what if they will try to isolate him from the team and how the rest of the group you know will will swing the ball will move the ball and how they're gonna find ways then if we connect with you know bad shooting nights uh I think that Valanciunas, of course, is a huge advantage and it's my, let's say, big hope that my uh, fears uh, doesn't have much sense. Uh, but I just feel that, you know, Greeks, they have the experience. The, the core of this team, they are so experienced that they were on the highest stage, both on internationally or in the, with their clubs. This team, Vavrokos Jakobaitis, he never played solid in a big game when, you know, the future of his team was on the line. Ignas Brazekis, can we really trust the guy? Uh, Jonas Valanciunas, yeah, we can trust him. But I mean, I just have these little doubts. And of course, it's also related to bad memories from 2017. They don't have, thank God they don't have Slukas. But I just have these concerns and just to make this conversation a little bit more interesting, I'm uh, going with Greece to the second round, uh, to the quarterfinal, and I just challenge Lithuanians, Jakubaitis and Brasdeikis to become our new heroes, because I remember when Lithuania put their roster for this competition, uh, we were like lacking of bigger names, whereas Grigonis, whereas the Sabonis uh, and stuff like that, but at the same time, it's the great platform for new heroes of the national team emerge. That's how some our, our generation players, you know, stepped up and made their name uh, nationally and in the end internationally. So I hope I had, you know, it's just me having a little fever right now and just saying crazy things. But uh, yeah, I'm, I'm going with Greece, sorry. Hey, if I could respond a bit, I mean, you said like, 
Do you really trust Jakubaitis? Do you really trust Brasdakis? Would you rather trust Lundis and Moraitis? <laughs> I mean, I yeah, okay. I Walker, as well. you know? mo mo most of what you said makes sense, and and your fears are uh, normal. Objective. I, objective. I could say some of the of, of, of the same things, and yeah, that's true. Uh, Greece can be a really uncomfortable opponent. Also, I don't agree with you saying that Lithuania is not a good shooting team. It might not be the most consistent shooting team. Some of the players are not very consistent, but I think we have really good spacing and players that can actually shoot. So if Greece, let's say, tries to defend in a zone, we can punish that, definitely. Jokubaitis' importance being highlighted. That is fair. It's the first time he's playing with a, such a big role in a very important competition because on club level whether it's Barcelona or his early days in Jalgiris he's never the main guy he's somebody that can perform and can have good games but on the nights when he doesn't those teams have others we don't really have anybody else he will have to play 33 or 35 minutes and I could imagine if Lithuania faces Spain, for example, Sergio Scariolo throwing box and one on Jakubaitis on, on because he would see how important he is to this team. But Malanchunas versus Papayanis, I think that's that's a mismatch. And if, if we get Papayanis into, into a foul trouble... I that, think that's... I mean, yeah. So in general, like, I agree with some part of what you said. But yeah, when, when you say like... Can we trust Jakubaitis? Can we trust Brzezakis? It's not like they have better players, you know? I think uh, one also interesting uh, thing to mention here would be that we always in Lithuania, uh, uh, um, mostly like in the last Eurobasket, we were always saying, oh, we don't have a closer, we don't have a closer. Uh, the best player on the perimeter is not on our team, that's why we lose close games. If we if we go to a close game to Greece in the in the last minutes, I, I think we have the best player on the perimeter, Ignas Brezdekis. And you know, I know what Lorenzakis can do in the fourth quarters. I know it by now. Like if you told me last summer, I would have not believed you about Lorenzakis in the fourth quarters. But I still I think in this game Lithuania have the best perimeter player to close out games if needed. And you know, when everybody's switching, I trust Ignas Brezdekis to score against the bigs of Greece or, or against the guards of Greece. Like, I like his chances, even though it's probably going to be Thomas Walkup. Like, I think maybe Mikalis Lundzis will start the game on, on, on the Jokubaitis and Walkup, maybe guarding, guarding uh, Brasdekis, maybe if, th if that makes sense. I'm not sure, but uh, anyway, I think Lithuania have the best player to close out the game if we go to a close one. Actually, you made a good point about Brazdekis. That's also one of the my hopes that he will step up to that level that will be required to close the game. Because although his numbers there, it's not like he ha he's having an impressive stat line. He's averaging nine point three uh, points per game, but his shooting is really good. Fifty seven percent from the three point line for the four from the two point line, almost five rebounds, two point three assists per game. But what I've 
heard uh, when I was talking to Lithuanian national pl uh, team players during the group stage, they liked the improvement in his decision making. They, they feel that he is forcing plays, situations and his shots uh, less than before. And he's just feeling more comfortable on the court and let's say knowing his role, knowing ways uh, how to score or to be efficient for the team, sharing the ball a little bit more. So that's another reason to believe in, in Ignaz Brzdekis closing the game for uh, for ourselves but uh, for content reasons I'll try to be the jerk uh, which will say that uh, Greece although being a less talented team in my eyes will will advance all right let's go to the next group I hope you're right I hope you, I hope you guys you're right because I don't remember I, I lost this feeling of Lithuania playing in, in important games in FIBA competitions and last seven years thank god I'm not covering Lithuania just in this World Cup but last five years I felt like a tourist in uh, FIBA competitions so it's not the best feeling especially when I started my career with 2014 FIBA World Cup 2015 Eurobasket with our team going all the way and then there was just huge gap where you're like okay let's support Latvia now in quarterfinals so I hope we will have Lithuania you know going until the end the uh, last day of the competition wherever it will be playing for something big or just for the Olympic uh, qualification I think we'll have a nice discussion uh, going forward I hope uh, also you know Serbia versus Lithuania for the quarterfinal <laughs> I hope I hope anyway, I really hope let's 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 move on to the next group so group K with Slovenia Germany they have three wins and Australia with Georgia they have two what do you think Germany and Australia I think Slovenia will take two painful L's that's it that's easy <laughs> do you want I me was, to I was, I was thinking I was thinking uh, I was thinking a lot about this group and uh, I'm going to go with an extravaganza uh, choice here I'm going to go Luka Doncic getting a triple-double and winning against Australia to qualify for the okay, next nice. for quarterfinals nice. Uh, if I can elaborate, I mean, I, I don't think that Luka Doncic has enough help this year. And they will face the elite of the elites, talking about the guards that Germany and Australia have. And with Slovenian defense, I just don't see them doing anything to prevent Patty Mills from dropping 30 or... Josh Giddy performing on a very high level, or Dennis Schroeder dropping 30, Maudolov, whatever, and Franz Wagner should be back. So it's just, of course, that, that game in the, in the group stage, Germany-Australia, was really important because it puts Germany now in a position when, where they can survive one mistake, they can survive one loss. Australia yeah. cannot afford that. They must win both, but they are just better teams. If I have to rank these three teams, I would rank Australia, Germany, Slovenia in a power ranking system, right? So, yeah, I mean, I think we will see some exciting basketball, definitely. When you have Luka Doncic, you never know what's going to happen, and it's not like Slovenia will give up or, or, or anything like that. But even there... So, their wins in the group stage were not that convincing okay versus georgia so far it has been their strongest opponent they had a good good game i must admit but i'm not a big believer in, in slovenia this year 
Hmm. Yeah, we talked about it in in the in the power rankings about Slovenia and the preparation games. I'm just I'm going against the logic here in this game. I think you know with Luca, you have just so many options offensively. You have uh, the possibility to attack in the pick and roll. You have the ability to post up. You, you, you have the ability to just ask Patty Mills guy to come set a screen and make Patty Mills the defender in every possession. You can post up, you know, Josh Giddy as well. Probably it's Matisse Teibel who's going to get the assignment uh, of Luca. And uh, yep, Australia, even though their front, car, front court is really thin, but uh, they're trying a lot of switch all defense. And, you know, we all know how against Luca that, that's going to go. So... It's it's not like Slovenia doesn't have chances, but I'm going against Logic here and I'm picking Slovenia to be in the quarterfinals and not Australia. I see your points. I uh, see why you're expecting miracles from uh, from Luka. Also, what's important that some guys stepped up, like Clement Prepelic or Mike Taubi. They're having some uh, nice competition so far. And I mean, it's not that bad as I probably thought, but at the same time, I just have these memories of Tokyo Olympics. Of course, the team was different, but Australia was never a good matchup for them. And with the supporting cast that Slovenia now has, with the talent that they've lost in uh, Chanchar, Edomoric uh, as well, and with the current roster, I just think that Australia is a better team and they will prove it on the court. And I also go with Germany and uh, Australia to the quarterfinals, so... I'll, I'll try to be more rational with this one. <laughs> and the last group, that's where I expect least irrational picks, no? Canada, Spain, Brazil, and Latvia. Do we all uh, agree with Canada and Spain going forward or? Yeah, I, Canada and Spain, I mean, I'm, I'm sorry, I guess, uh, I just have to say it's that. It's all good, I have the same choice. Yeah, because in in the comment section after our first two episodes, uh, there were some people saying, "Good, you're still not talking about Spain. You're still not taking them serious. Good. Now we're definitely going to win a medal." And I must admit, I didn't see much of Spain. I I didn't have time to follow their group. I only saw the second half of their game versus Brazil. I was really impressed with some of the things I've mentioned previously, like Juan Nunez, uh, how they their bigs are performing, Vili. Hernan Gomez, Santi Aldama, even Usman Garuba. I mean, so far it has been a good tor tournament for them and they do have enough quality now and they are in a very good position with free wins. So I don't see why they should lose to Latvia, let's say. Latvia had their miracle game already. Can they repeat it against such a smart coach like Scariolo and a team like Spain? Honestly, I don't think so. And Canada is Canada. I mean... Come on, with Shea Gilgis Alexander, the way he's he's playing and, and their ability to just push the button and start defending like crazy and break the game in three or four minutes. Of course, Canada has to be in a quarterfinal. It's a no-brainer. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, Brazil is a good team, but can they beat Canada? I don't think so. And Latvia, well... Latvia versus Brazil should be a, a, a nice game to watch. We should see some uh, beautiful plays, for some flashy passing from Jagers and, and uh, Marcelinho, but uh, I don't see these teams making uh, making it into the quarterfinal. As, as you said, we were like not talking enough about Spain. 
I got a chance to saw a little bit against Brazil and uh, it's just I mean we are not talking about them as much because they're you know they didn't really have that big of a group as of yet we talked about Serbia as well for the first time I think uh, today too but uh, Spain is beautiful for what they're doing in offense for their continuity for their team play but the thing probably I like the most is how they have a perfect plan. It seems like they have a perfect plan against every opponent. And uh, with Sergio Scariolo, you know, you that's what you expect. But it seems like every time I tune in to watch Spain, it's like they know perfectly what, well what they're doing. They know what they're doing against every player. It doesn't matter that 11 players are in the rotation. And, you know, if you open the box score of that game against Brazil, everybody played from 23 minutes to let's say 15 minutes like 10, 10 players i think did that so it's beautiful that so many so much players everybody who steps on the court know what to do and that's just a testament an, another testament of how sergio scariolo and that his coaching staff is are great so i expect spain to beat uh to beat latvia and uh yeah Aritis, about Canada, we already talked and you said yeah. it best. They are yes. they are amazing. Their defense is uh, brilliant and yeah. Shea, Shea, is, Shea is just elite. There is nothing I, to add I, here. I just love this uh, picture where Arthur Jagers was proposing to Shea Gilgis Alexander. <laughs> it was all over the internet. I mean, yeah, Shea had these brilliant plays like not only against let's say Jagers who's a smaller guard but the way he aggressively attacked the switch of, of Roland Schmitz in one play that was huge I don't see EuroLeague players doing that because in EuroLeague we consider Roland Schmitz as a really tough guy and when you get him on the switch usually you don't have much of an advantage and Shea Gil just casually bumped into him blew him away and, and, and went for his routine jump shot. Yeah, so not much to add. Latvia reached their, let's say, maximum what they can get. Brazil, with Raul Neto, the situation might have been different, but I think that with Canada having no flaws, Spain kind of uh, erased all these doubts with figuring out how to play with Nunez as their main point guard, all, despite being at such a young age but he fits the team well i mean don't see reasons why the the two teams qualifying to the next stage should be different so thanks a lot for your predictions Dalek, thanks a lot on being uh, this on the show by the way to all of those who sometimes think that oh we didn't cover spain enough uh, we didn't talk about serbia much it's really hard to keep up with all the teams because me and ritis we are working in manila in mall of asia so we have a lot of coverage to do here uh, except from watching games or commentating games like Ritis, I also have to do coverage like in Team USA practice facilities that are far away from somewhere or I have to do some basket news logs in local markets and stuff. So it's not like that we have entire day to watch all of those uh, games, but for sure. In the next stage, I believe the, uh, the amount of games that we have to watch will be a, a little bit less and uh, we might have a look uh, a better look at those other groups as well and we try our best to cover as much as possible Donatos, I'm not how excited are you that today in our venue 
the classification for 17 to 32 places is starting. Are you pumped I, I up for these games? I don't care about those games, <laughs> but the problem is that it's these games are so important, you know? Yeah, for They're some playing teams, for, for some Olympic teams, qualifications. And it's just crazy. I'm not sure if from one standpoint it makes sense to, you know, qualify to the Olympics and to make every game matter even with these classification games. But I mean it's just too much of basketball, I don't know. Especially for me as a reporter, you know, I cannot be at my peak, let's say, form every single day with so many games. I don't know. It's just too much basketball. Maybe when if I would be watching games on TV, maybe I would be good, but not not a big fan of this format. So after the podcast, you are going to 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 watch some Egypt, Mex Mexico, and who's I I don't even know who's playing. I I was actually surprised uh, that somebody was playing today. When yeah, I ended the, the gym, it's a game day. It's a proper game day. Uh, I, I'll just grab a and bite I, and I maybe think somebody I will, played I will yesterday, some and they're playing today yeah. as well. Yep. What the hell is that? That's true. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. So New Zealand, are they playing today? I think they're playing today, actually. New Zealand, New Zealand, Mexico. New Zealand, Mexico, 11.45 in uh, one hour and, a half, and, and 15 minutes. Wow. And after yesterday's game versus Greece, so they, they have to play today. Oh. It's going to be tough. So they had this great game, this great group stage, and now they're playing in less than 24 hours. And it... It, no, it's not going to decide their fate for the Olympics. For New right? Zealand, They're no, already because Australia oh, thank God. took thank the God. Olympic tickets. Yeah. yeah, but let's imagine if this situation was different and that this game yeah. really mattered for them. I mean, Actually, a really is it funny really thing, the best way? Maybe not, but probably we don't have time to discuss the alternatives, but I just remembered one funny thing. Um, the Phoenix Suns, after uh, Japan's last game, posted on social media Yuta Watanabe's numbers and said Yuta Watanabe in his final World Cup game and posted his stats. And Yuta Watanabe himself retweeted his own club's uh, tweet by saying there are still two more games to go for us to reach the Olympics. So he had to remind his own club that the World Cup is not over. I'm still playing for these places and, and we can still get to the Olympics by being the best ranked team from Asia. So that was kind of a, a funny thing. And, and yeah, for, for Asian teams, for African teams, this is huge because if you're the best from your continent, you will get to the Olympics. The, the tournament starts now for the... For these teams, the tournament actually starts now. And I remember the Jordan head coach, actually in the press conference, he told that they were preparing for this five-game marathon, you know, yeah. with a clear idea that they were about not to make to the yeah. second stage. And that's where the Olympic qualification will be decided. So, so. since you said, if I'm, if I'm watching any games now, I know it's not happening uh, in Mall of Asia, but today I'm, I'm once again going to be cheering for South Sudan. I, I was cheering for them in the group stage and I want them to be the best team from Africa to get to the Olympics, to continue chasing their dreams. Uh, so I'll be supporting them for sure. Okay, and I will cheer for Lithuania tomorrow. 
I hope to be that guy who will be remembered as when the head coach will bring the question, you were the one who said that we're not going to qualify. It kind of, you know, got us united and that's we proved you wrong and then they made it to the uh, next stage. So I hope to be that guy. True hero. Thank you, guys. You're my heroes. Uh, thanks for watching, listening, and see you soon in a couple of days when we will uh, cover some of the important games that will happen. Follow basketnews.com on YouTube.